Thank you for uh, the gift of a little time of vacation so we could go and uh, be with our family last week. Uh, it was good for us to do that, but it's always good to come home, uh, not just to sleep in your own bed with your own pillow, that's always good, but to be uh, with your own church family too. And so glad to be here uh, this morning and glad to have an opportunity to point us to Jesus. We're, uh, we, we're in a, it's been a long time, let's see. Uh, we're on sermon number 36 in the Gospel of John now. We're just walking through the Gospel verse by verse. And, uh, you know, if you think big picture, we do live in a world that has been created good by the one God who has eternally existed. So there was nothing except for God. And then that one God called all things into existence, spoke and made things and called them good, even very good. But then the, 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 those made in His image, Adam and Eve, Sin in the garden, sin enters the world, and there's brokenness that follows. Separation from God that follows. Death that follows. And so for all of human history, there was this longing for something to be done about sin. Something to be done about death. God who made all things had a plan for His glory and for the good of His creation. That one day something was going to happen. When was that time going to come? And we see in the Gospel of John, as we began to open it up in John chapter 1, that time comes when Jesus comes. When the one who it says in John 1 was with God in the beginning, the one who in fact is God. God is three, one God, three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Jesus is God the Son, the Son of God, who has eternally existed. But in time, about 2,000 years ago, He comes and He takes on human flesh becoming just like us, to to get tired like we get tired and to get hungry like we get tired, to be betrayed like you've been betrayed and to hurt and suffer like you've been hurt and suffered. And Jesus comes to do that. And for about 30 years, he lives a relatively quiet and common life. The only thing very uncommon about it was that he never sinned, right? But he just grew up in a small town in the Middle East, with his mom and his dad who had adopted him, named Joseph. And he grew up in this family, became an older brother to others. And then we're told all throughout John's Gospel that when he begins his public ministry, John the Baptist points to this one and says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Uh, This is the one. This is what we've been waiting for. This is the Messiah. This is the Savior. The one that all of history has been waiting for. He's now here. And he's gone about traveling. And when he travels, he teaches. And as he teaches, he heals. He's taken a man who was born blind and he's given him sight. He's taken a man who was dead and in a tomb for four days and raised him to life. And so Jesus has performed sign after sign, has given teaching after teaching to reveal who he is. What's he going to do about the problem of sin and death? When that time comes, last week, a lot of people thought it was the time. Last week, Pastor Stan walked you through the account of what is called the triumphal entry as Jesus fulfills prophecy coming into Jerusalem on a donkey where he's hailed as the king. This is our Messiah. This is the one in the line of David who's going to come and going to save us. They holler out, Hosanna, Hosanna. This is the time. The time has come, they think. But Jesus tells them afterwards, and we got to this at the end of the sermon last week, He tells them, 
unless they wanted to glorify him right then and there. But he tells them, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, life will not come from it. Before glorification comes death. Jesus is going to experience something that he would not have experienced had he stayed on his throne in heaven. Had he stayed in that kind of fellowship that he had always had for all of eternity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But Jesus came fully human, remaining fully God, but becomes fully human. And he came for this time. But what Jesus is about to experience, this was the Father's plan, but this is not comfortable. And so we're going to see Jesus' reaction to what happens now that the time has come as we look at John chapter 12, verses 27 to 50 today. So if you have your Bible, you can open up to that. I'll have it on the screen as well. And if you're able to, would you stand as we read the Word of God? Starting in verse 27, God's Word says this, Now, this is Jesus speaking, Now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So the crowd answered him, We have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? So Jesus said to them, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. When Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. Though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. So that the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled, Lord, who has believed what he heard from us, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe. For again, Isaiah said, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Nevertheless, many even of the authorities believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees they did not confess it, so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. And Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to 
save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has given has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak, and I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. And as we walk through a large portion of it together this morning, would you clear our minds? Would you help us to be focused that you might mold the way that we think, that you might mold the way that we feel, that we might be shaped and molded by your spirit working through your word here today in a way that affects us for the rest of this week. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. All right, so we're biting off a large chunk today inside your bulletin, uh, sermon notes and life group guide, three points there. Uh, We're not going to spend a lot of time on those last verses. Jesus, in many ways, is summarizing things that he said over and over through that gospel. One of the reasons that we have our life groups is so that you can dive in a bit deeper to stuff that we can't get to in a message on Sunday morning. But the first point is this, dying and drawing, verses 27 to 36. So remember, you saw last week, if you were here, Jesus coming into Jerusalem. They were hailing him as king. He comes in, their desire, glorify him now, and he tells them, not yet. There's something that must come before glorification. Death is going to come before glorification. I talked to you in my introduction about how painful this must be for Jesus, who for the first time was going to feel the weight of sin, our sin, on his shoulders, was going to experience judgment from his father rather than love. All of this on Jesus. And so it makes sense, doesn't it? Because he's fully human that he says this, now is my soul troubled. See, Jesus doesn't just casually say, well, I'm going to be glorified, but first I'm going to have to die. He knows the the depth of what's going to happen because he's going to die and it's not just going to be any death. It's going to be torture followed by a public execution. And it's not just going to be any public execution. It's going to be death because he's taking our place as our substitute for our sins, enduring the wrath of the Father, the judgment of God for sin laid on Jesus. And so it makes sense that he would say this, doesn't it? Now is my soul troubled. And so he's wondering how he should pray. And so he says out loud, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? Is that that the prayer request that I ought to have? Because would God the Father do this? Could he do this? So Jesus says out loud, should I pray? Father, save me from this hour. But then quickly answers himself saying this, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. I can't pray, Father, save me from this hour, because I know that the suffering that I'm about to endure, this has been God's plan from before the foundations of the world. This is the purpose for which I came. I didn't just come to heal that blind guy and raise that dead guy. I came to suffer and die. It's for this purpose that I came. So I can't pray, Father, save me from this hour. So you see, 
and, and just a quick point of application here. Is it possible for us to know that God has a purpose in our suffering, but to still be very troubled by it? Yeah. That's what Jesus was experiencing right here. He knew that God had a purpose for his suffering, yet he was very troubled by it. And so, what does he pray? It's a good prayer. Father, glorify your name. This is what Jesus lives and dies for. The glory of the Father. There's such love between the persons of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that Jesus' greatest desire is that the Father would be glorified. And so as he comes to this moment, this hour, his soul is troubled, but he prays this, Father, glorify your name. This is what I want more than anything else. I want your name to be glorified. And for the first time in the Gospel of John, we're going to hear God the Father speak directly. And what does he say? He says, I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. See, God the Father has been glorified in Jesus' ministry and life so far on earth. He's been glorified through that, and Jesus is about to die and be raised again from the dead, and that also will bring glory to the Father. I have glorified it. I will glorify it again. Now, the crowd hears it. Some are thinking it's thunder. Some are thinking it's angels. Jesus lets them know, this voice was not for me. It's for you. And then Jesus says this. He says, now is the judgment of this world. Now is the judgment of this world. There's a final judgment that's coming at the end. Jesus even talks about that in the last verses of this passage. But he's telling them right here that now is the judgment, saying, saying that this moment where Jesus is hanging on the cross, this is judgment. This is judgment on the world for the sins of the world laid on the Son, the Son experiencing judgment, and all those who reject Him will also experience judgment. Now is the judgment of this world. And then Jesus says this, Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. He's talking about Satan uh, here when he talks about the little r ruler of this world. See, Satan thinks, and in many ways there, there was a sense in which he is the ruler of this world in a, in a small r kind of way. And Jesus says, what I'm about to do is going to cast him out. Now, what Jesus is about to do is going to make Satan think that he won. Right? Because Jesus, in this, in this week, remember this is, this is Sunday was the triumphal entry. He's going to be put on the cross on Friday. So in this week, Jesus is going to be tortured and publicly executed and buried in a tomb. And this is going to be the moment where Satan thinks he finally has victory. Because while Jesus was on this earth, he was performing these signs and miracles and doing this teaching. Many people were coming to him. And now, in Satan's mind, the end of this week, it, it's done. He's going to be put to death. And Satan's going to think that he's king now. When we went back to Minnesota this week, uh, they had a lot of snow. When you got rain here this last Saturday, they got a lot of snow. So I went out and played with the kids out in the snow for quite a while. We played a game they don't let them play at school, I guess, during recess anymore. Uh, King of the Mountain. You played that game? You just go on a mountain of snow and you knock people off. I get why they don't let you play it at school, right? And so it was just me and the kids um, uh, and, and playing King of the Mountain 
up on the hill. And there are times when you play that game where the goal is just to be the one still standing on the top, where you knock somebody over and they're rolling down the hill, and you think for a moment that you're the one who's the king until somebody else comes and knocks you down, right? That's what's about to happen with Satan here. He, he's going to think for a moment that he's victorious because Jesus, the king, a lot of people have turned their backs on him. The crowds have shouted, crucify him. He's been put to death. He's been laid in a tomb. Satan thinks he won. But that's not the reality. Jesus is about to cast him out. And then Jesus refers to his death directly when he says this, And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. How does this lifting up happen? The lifting up here, a lot of times you think like, if I'm lifted up, if I'm exalted, if if I'm lifted up by people. That's not what he's talking about. John tells us that in verse 33. He says, he said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. Jesus is going to die by being nailed to a cross, and that cross would be then lifted up. And it's then, it's not when Jesus performs miracle after miracle and does powerful teaching after powerful teaching. It's when Jesus is put to death. When it looks like it's over, that's when Jesus is doing the work that God will use to draw people to himself. All kinds of people. You know, when it says all people, we've talked about this many times as we walk through Scripture. When it says all people, it doesn't mean that every single person is going to be drawn to faith in Jesus. We know That's not the case from the rest of Scripture. But in context, last week, remember, it was a bunch of Greeks, Gentiles, who were coming and wanting to know about Jesus. Jesus is going to draw all kinds of people to himself, not just Jewish people, but Gentile people as well. This is about to happen. It's going to happen through his death. Now, this doesn't make sense to the crowd. To the crowd, they're they're, they're remembering. They've been students of Scripture. And so... In their minds, the Christ, the anointed king, the Messiah, he's going to come and he's going to remain forever. So now, Jesus, what are you saying about this, you're going to die? That's not, that's not the way we had this figured out. Jesus lets them know that's exactly what's going to happen. It's just a little while longer that I'm going to be with you. I'm the light, and if you don't believe in me, you're going to remain in darkness you believe in me, you're going to be walking in the light. You're actually going to become a son of light. The only way to be adopted in is through faith in Jesus. Right? So he's trying to make this clear to them. I would say, again, through everything that Jesus has done so far and what he said here, that certainly the people will believe, won't they? Let's go on. Point number two. Jesus has done all of these miracles. Certainly they'll believe. Here's what it says, though. The rest of verse 36. When Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. Though he had, listen, verse 37. Though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. Sign after sign after sign. They had seen, they had heard, they had witnessed. Still, They did not believe in him. We're actually given a reason. So that, verse 38 starts. So that, and again, Pastor Stan talked last week about how Jesus came and fulfilled so many Old Testament prophecies. Right? And now we're told that he's doing this again. So that the words spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. 
And then he's going to quote from two different places in Isaiah. First from Isaiah 53, which is uh, one of my favorite chapters in the Bible as it clearly points and prophesies about who Jesus is going to be, who the Messiah is going to be, and how he's going to rule as king, and how he's going to come as a servant, and how he's going to die for sin. So he quotes first from Isaiah 53, and then he quotes the longer passage there is from Isaiah 6. And Isaiah 6 is another one of my favorite chapters in all of the Bible. You can turn there if you want. I'm not going to have it on the screen. But you might remember what happens in Isaiah 6. That Isaiah the prophet has this opportunity that I don't know if anybody else ever had one exactly like this. He gets to see the glory of the Lord. The glory of the Lord fills the temple. There's seraphim uh, calling out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. That's what we joined in singing this morning. There have been angels doing that uh, for centuries because he's worthy of it, right? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And what you remember in Isaiah 6, what Isaiah's reaction is when he gets a glimpse of the glory and holiness of God. Remember what he says? He says, awesome, I'm glad I'm here. No. He says, woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. See, he's done what I was praying earlier. He's looked in a mirror, and he's looked at the world around him, and he's now seen the glory of God, and he knows I don't deserve to be here. I'm going to be consumed if I stay in his presence much longer. Woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the king, he says. And God doesn't just look at Isaiah and say, you're right. He looks at Isaiah, and he finds a way for him to atone for Isaiah's sin, to make Isaiah unholy, unclean, and to make him right with God. And then God asks the question, who will go for me? And Isaiah responds, because he has experienced the forgiveness of God, he says, here am I, send me. And that's where we typically stop in Isaiah 6. But the part that John quotes from Isaiah 6 comes after that. Because after Isaiah signs up for the mission trip, he says, here I am, send me. God tells him, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to harden their hearts, and I'm going to blind their eyes. So the majority of the people that you go talk to, Isaiah, are not going to hear a thing that you have to say. They're going to be closed to it. They're going to not just reject you. They're going to reject me, Isaiah. But there's going to be a few. There's going to be a few that remain. And this happened in Isaiah's day, and John is now saying this is also a prophecy that's going to be fulfilled in this day that many are going to reject Jesus. Their hearts are going to be hard. As an act of God's judgment on them for their unbelief, their hearts are going to be hardened, their eyes are going to be blinded, and they, though Jesus has clearly revealed himself. Hasn't it been clear? I mean, maybe we're biased, right? We're reading John, we're like, how could they not believe that Jesus is the one that they've been waiting for? How much more clear can it get? They don't get it because a prophecy is being fulfilled. And then there's this mention of what sounds like quiet, and I put in quotes, belief. 
Look at verses 41 and following. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Verse 42. Nevertheless, many even of the authorities believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. Remember that we've seen a couple of different times in John, and we see it in other spots in the Bible too, that there's a kind of believing that's not a saving kind of believing. Right? James talks about how even the demons believe and they shudder, right? So they're not, they're not having a saving kind of believing. We've seen this in John 2. We've seen this in John 6 where some people look like they believe. They might even profess that they believe, but the reality is it doesn't seem that they really believe. These people really love their old way of life. They don't want to be put out of the synagogue. And so they have this kind of belief in Jesus, but here's what John tells us. For they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. I was reading a bunch of commentaries on this, and a number of them pointed out the fact that this this is probably one of those cases where these secret believers who would not confess their faith, might not have been the kind of believers who had a saving faith in Jesus. What did they love? Did they love Jesus? What does John tell us they loved? They loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. And I know I've shared it before, but as I was studying this passage this week, I could not help but think of my own testimony. And how I've even shared that in a couple of different ways over the course of my Christian life. So I want to tell you my testimony again and how it relates to this passage here. I had the privilege of being raised in a home where my mom and dad both trusted in Jesus as Lord and Savior. I had the privilege of being raised up in a church that faithfully taught the Bible and proclaimed the gospel of Jesus Christ. When I was home, I got to go to a breakfast with my dad on a Saturday morning, and I got to eat breakfast, I didn't eat breakfast, but we just prayed together uh, with a guy who was my Sunday school teacher. He's in his 80s now, but he was my Sunday school teacher uh, back when I was in junior high. Faithful man of God. I think he looks exactly the same. It's been like 30 years, uh, but he, or 25 years. He looks about exactly the same. I thought he was old then. He's even older now. Uh, But I got to be raised in this environment where everything was set up really well for me to hear the gospel and respond to it. And the way that I was taught to do that at a very young age was I was going to ask Jesus into my heart. And I was told by my parents I did that when I was a very young kid. Uh, This picture was taken of me holding a Bible. I was told that I would often grab a Bible and uh, stand up on anything that I could find that would look like a platform and start preaching to people. Um, And so, so that was Jeremy at a young age, having a some kind of belief. And for a time, when I shared my testimony with people, I told people I became a believer. God saved me, brought me from darkness to life, from, from to, to light, from death to life. God saved me when I was four or five years old, and, and I prayed that. But as I started studying Scripture more and started reflecting on my life more, I, I started sharing my story differently because I'm not certain. Actually, in fact, I'm quite certain that God hadn't yet saved me at that point. I had some kind of believing, but my reality was I loved the glory that came from man more than anything. 
that was what drove me. And so when it was advantageous for me to be like a Christian, I knew how to do that because I was raised in the right kind of environment. So in front of my family and in front of my church and when I went to camp, if I wanted to get the girlfriend that I wanted at camp, she wanted to have a boyfriend who was a Christian. So I could talk like a Christian, right? I could, I could act like a Christian around those people. But the reality was I love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. I was doing that stuff because I wanted my parents to like me. I wanted the church to like me. And I wanted that girl at camp to like me, right? And so, so I could kind of play that game. But when I was with my peers... When I was with my friends at school who did not value a living relationship with Jesus, then I could act and think and talk just like them because I love the glory that came from man more than the glory that came from God. So my life was all about like winning awards. <laughs> I, I, you can't see this picture probably very well. That's me looking totally unhappy, but holding a whole bunch of awards that I had won. My mom wanted a picture with all these things. I had more than that, but that's what I had gotten, I don't know, one year or something like that. But that was my life. I just wanted to be praised by other people. I wanted to do well and win some awards. That was my life until... God got a hold of me when I was 18 years old, and it wasn't exactly like Isaiah in Isaiah 6. I got a little choked up talking about Isaiah because that was the reality for me. This kid who would, I, I, never, re, I never had like this outward rebellion, you know, like I never, I never doubted uh, that Jesus was the Son of God. None, none of that stuff, but I was living for my own glory and not for His until God made it clear to me that this Jesus who I professed to know was much more glorious than I ever thought him to be. And I got to see the glory of God as I opened up Scripture, as I met with other believers, and God opened my eyes to see the glory of Jesus in such a way that I recognized, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, and I needed atonement. And so I put my faith in Jesus and was saved by God's grace. So these people here in John chapter 12, they love the glory that comes from man. So there was a, some kind of believing that they had, but they mostly just loved the glory that came from man rather than the glory that comes from God. This is one of those passages that helped me to kind of wrestle with that. Here's what Jesus said in Matthew 10. So everyone who acknowledges me before men... I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. So a question I would ask then is, what about you? Earlier in John chapter 12, I closed my Bible, I have to open it up again. Don't trust a pastor that closes his Bible. All right. John 12, 25 and 26. Whoever loves his life loses it. Whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. You looked at that last week. Is that you? Do you have some kind of faith? Like you believe the right things about Jesus, but this kind of quiet, keep it to myself, I'm not saying everybody needs to be a loud, bold evangelist speaking into a bullhorn on the street corners or anything like that. 
but I'm convicted by passages like Romans 10, 9 to 10, where it says this. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. We have an opportunity to reject or to receive Jesus. That's the opportunity that you're given, that I'm given, that Jesus gives to the people standing around him one more time. And I told you we're going to just kind of fly through these last couple verses. Jesus is saying things that we've heard him say before in John, reminding that you believe in me, you believe in the one who sent me. Jesus has said that over and over again. You believe in me, you don't remain in darkness. Jesus lays it out. You can either reject me, and the one who rejects me will be judged, or you can receive me, and the one who receives me will have eternal life. You've heard these things come over and over again, and for some of you, you've heard these come over and over again. You've been in church a lot. You've gotten to hear multiple times the the gospel of Jesus Christ, the reality that God is a holy God, and you are a sinner who deserves not favor from God, but judgment from God, because we don't want a God, we don't want a judge who's who's so, uh, so flippant that he just allows evil to go on. A good judge cares about evil, right? and recognizes something needs to be done about evil. And so our good God is a good judge. And we recognize, you've heard the reality that what you deserve from God is judgment, but because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, can make us alive together with Christ, even though we're dead in our sins. How does He do that? By grace you've been saved through faith. This is a gift. It's not from yourselves, not by your own works. You can't, you can't get God's favor by working really hard at it. You get it because Jesus is the Lamb who was slain, the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the world. He came to die. This is what he came for. His soul is troubled by this because he's going to come and he's going to bear our sin, the weight of our sin on his shoulders. And so you've heard this truth. Do you then reject or receive him? That's the decision that we have to make. And if you want to know what it looks like to receive him, you're wondering if in reality you have been rejecting him, I would love to talk to you more about that. We're going to sing a song to close uh, that is a song that's kind of like a song singing our testimony. We sing, I once was lost in darkest night. I thought I knew the way. This is, this is totally me. I once was lost. I thought I knew the way. But the sin that promised joy in life had led me to the grave. I had no hope that you would own a rebel to your will. And if you had not loved me first, I would refuse you still. And then the second verse goes like this. But as I ran my hell-bound race, indifferent to the cost, you looked upon my helpless state and led me to the cross. Where I beheld God's love displayed, you suffered in my place. You bore the wrath reserved for me. Now all I know is grace and the chorus which we should sing if if you have been saved by god's grace through faith in jesus then we sing with grateful humble hearts hallelujah all i have is christ
Hallelujah, Jesus is my life. We're going to do that together. So if the worship team could come up, I'll pray, and then we'll close by singing together. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for your word. I feel like we just ran through it really quick, but God, I pray that by your spirit, you would be working in a way that draws people to yourself. We know that it is the life, not just the life, but the death and resurrection of Jesus that you will use uh, for our salvation. We, we cannot be saved apart from that work and your grace and our faith in Jesus. And so, God, thank you for the good news that for all of us who trust in Jesus, we can confess that all we have is Christ, that Jesus is our life. We have nothing else. You've given us far more and far better than we deserve. We thank you for that good gift. In Jesus' name, amen.